The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Good morning, good afternoon, depending on whether you are listening to us live here of Fresh FM or you're listening on the podcast, The Dyslexic Detective. This is Ben Vigin and the Deadline Report, courtesy of Fresh FM, the greatest little radio station in the South Island and probably all the known universes, or at least all the known universes that I've gone trippity, trippity through. Today, in fact, all throughout the month of December, most of my shows are about the need for what we really need in the world, which is peace. And what we need really get into people's minds is that we need to be marching for Everybody, we, we don't. We need to be having a peace movement where we don't take sides, and it really is about love, actually, because that's actually what we need. We need you, you. You cannot turn around and have peace when you are pointing the finger at somebody else. You must have empathy. You must have compassion for your fellow human being. You know, for example, at the moment, as we hear a lot at the moment about the idea of um, uh, ceasefire in Palestine, and, and there's a lot of noise made about the fact that aren't these uh, evil, evil Israelis being really terrible to the people in, in Palestine? Now, it, it's not that I actually necessarily dispute that particular issue, but where I become incredibly cynical about what's actually happened to our peace movement is that uh, for the last effectively 12 years, uh, when the Labour government has been involved, and again, as you know, my attitude to politicians, whether they're red or blue, is I'm very cynical of both of them. So this is not about partisan politics. But for the last 12 years, we have found repeatedly that uh, companies like Kiwi Bank, Rocket Lab, um, in fact, an increasingly long streak of, of companies involved in electronics, computer and software, have actually been helping uh, companies like Lockheed Martin uh, provide weapons that are used for genocide and wars, places like Yemen. So in, in the case of Yemen, we've known that the New Zealand government has discovered repeatedly that we've actually helped supplied uh, these basically military dictatorships that are involved in extremely brutal human rights records um, basically engage and and throughout that entire period there has been no peace for Palestine movement there has been an absolute silence from effectively the Green Party and the Labour Party about the fact that our own nuclear free legacy has been washed down the circle in fact since 2016 which is when National was actually in and we have arrived uh, the USS Samson arrived in New Zealand with 95 Tomahawk missiles aboard it Pretty much for the fact that New Zealand was the leading country that actually advocated the abolishment of nuclear weapons, we've all absolutely forgotten about this. And so now we're worrying about conflicts, little conflicts, and going, let's have peace for one side, um, while the week beforehand we were pointing the finger at the other side. So, for example, we talk about, uh, isn't it terrible what the Russians are doing in the Ukraine? But that's only if you've been following the news from 2022. If you've been following for the last 10 years, you find out the conflict's much more in-depth and sophisticated than people think we are, and that basically what we're looking at is a large sale of weapons from the US and Israeli military-industrial complex into the Ukraine. And everybody was okay with that last week, but this week we're actually against the US and Israeli military-industrial complex. And isn't it funny that it's all happened since the government's actually switched over? So I'm extremely cynical of what's happening because I see a peace movement that's actually been hijacked by political parties that are using this to actually advocate uh, their own entrenchment of party apparatchik politics. So in other words, you will only be allowed to, to go and speak at these events if you're tied up with the Green Party or the Labour Party, just like at the Voice of Freedoms, it basically becomes the de-, de facto platform for helping act national elected. Anyone who says that's not true obviously hasn't looked at the election results of where we actually are right now. 
So to get back to my point, what we actually really need is we need a peace movement where we are asking for people to love both sides. We need a peace movement which loves the Israeli people. We need a peace movement which loves the Palestinian people because the vast majority of these people do not want this conflict. They want nothing to do with it. And it's largely been driven by cynical factions on both sides that, that more often than not, once you actually examine the money trail, are in bed together. Again, this is something that you can look at the Paradise Papers, the Abhijani uh, network there. And you'll, you know, again, you'll find that you've got, uh, as I've said previously, you've got Turkey helping sell Russian gas while they are selling weapons to the Ukrainians and they're selling weapons to uh, Islamic terrorist groups at the same time that that same Turkish government is in bed with the Israelis. And it all ends up with basically what's actually happening is we are seeing the fueling of these minor proxy conflicts, which are effectively driving global debt. And with that global debt becomes basically the enslavement and uh, rising corporate draconianism of the entire planet. So if we want to stop this, we've got to stop taking sides. We've got to put down our flags and we've got to love everybody. Now, Part of this, I believe, is that we need to start getting off the internet. In fact, I'll step back before we get into that point. What we need to do is we need to stay away from political movements which have aligned themselves with political parties because what happens each time is that we end up with moctivism. So these groups pop up. They normally have a sugar daddy on the side who's using that to get around electoral spending, spending caps. And then this is all fueled up and driven so that you've got a nice little vote demographic uh, basis so that when you move into the next election, you've got these basically this apparatchik system that's used to capture the fringe vote, the swing voters, and effectively it's used to basically play partisan party politics. It's got to stop. You, again, repeat myself, you cannot have a peace movement where you're talking about taking sides. It has to be peace for everybody. You must love everybody. It's, it's really not that particular a complicated idea. The second thing that we really need to do to fuel this peace movement is we've got to get off social media. Social media is becoming this tool which is brainwashing us. It's each this is oh this is what we'll be concerned about this week. This is the meme of the week. And again, it doesn't matter whether you're left wing or you're right wing. Basically, the topics that are actually being discussed and that uh, become the talking points that we all have a chat around are what's on the algorithms. And as I said to you again, right now we are living in a world where we are at the closest point to a global nuclear annihilation than we have ever been since the first detonation of Hiroshima. And you go online, you go online and Google it. This is, this is not news. Because you know why? Those, those news programs or those news feeds are largely controlled by tech companies that are joined at the hip to the same military industrial complex. And they get to control the volume switch. And again, if you look at things like the worldwide uh, socialist website, they'll point out the most censored all groups out there are not actually alt-right or even for that matter extreme uh, uh, identity politics left-wing parties. The groups that are actually the groups that have been censored the most are the ones are the, are the ones that are not pointing the fingers at illogical boogie monsters under the bed, but they're pointing the fingers at Pacific corporations and corporations that are normally tied up with fossil fuels, corporations that are normally tied up with the arms industry, BlackRock being a, a great example there, and of course if you go and look at some of the labour-aligned uh, platforms, such as the Daily Mail, they'll turn around and suggest, oh, if you're criticising BlackRock, who's you know got massive amounts of fortunes and fossil fuels, um, biggest, basically, shareholders of, of handguns, and also huge, huge ties into the nuclear weapons industry, uh, again, owning uh, shares in Rayathon, Lockheed Martin, um, that they, they don't get a mention. This is meant to be the 
part the parties that support liberalism and they don't want to call co- actual corporations to account. So what we really need to do is we need to get the hell off the algorithms and we need to start turning around and actually doing something really radical, which we don't do anymore, and that's called reading. In next weeks, in the next couple of weeks, I'm actually going to do a show there. I'm going to take you through some of the great classical writers that really take these ideas and make us have a deep thing, because that's what's happening right now. There is no deep thinking going on. It's the flavor of the month, the fad of the month, the meme of the week. It's basically what's dictating where we're actually at. Now, before we get, we're going to, we, um, in the next couple of segments, the two things I'm going to turn around and do is I'm going to, I'm going to relay you a little story about when I worked at America, Carol Carnos, about what actually happens in a war. And it doesn't matter which side you're on the war. This is the first hand experience of an interview I did once with a, a person that actually, uh, li- lived, worked and fought on the front lines of the first Bay, uh, first war in Lebanon and Beirut in 1981. And the story he tells, you can take this story and you can repeat it any conflict you ever care to. And again, you know, I've got six years military experience. I know a lot of people in the military. They'll all agree with me at the end of the day. So stop taking sides. Start pointing the finger at the military and money people that are actually pushing this aspect of it. And then at the end of it, I'm going to tell you another little story, which will give us a little bit of hope and remind us about, you know, who we are and why love is such a powerful creature. But let's go, first of all, with 99 Balloons by Nina. On the Deadline Report, Ben Virgin investigates.
Gibt's dann keinen Platz für Sieger? Kriegsminister gibt's nicht mehr und auch keine Düsenflieger. Heute zieh ich meine Runden, seh die Welt in Trümmern liegen, hab nen Luftballon gefunden. Denk an dich und lass ihn And you're back on the Deadline Report with Ben Virgin Investigates, Kira Fresh FM. Uh, I'm just going to, in this little segment, it's, a little, it's just a little singular story, which I want to bring home to all the listeners, because to me, this defines the first-hand experience. This is the story that you never get told on the media. The media always wants to turn around and they want to put everything into a soundbite. They want to have good guys over here, and they want to have bad guys over here, and they want to give you a very simplified, almost Hollywood version about how war works. Well, now this is the reality. So in my early 20s, I used to work at a, a, a cafe in Christchurch called Americanos, and we were a late-night cafe, and we didn't serve uh, any alcohol, or at least not officially. And a lot of the boys that worked in the various um, uh, restaurants around town, kebab restaurants um, from the Middle East, would come in, and they would come to our restaurant because they could socialize without there being any alcohol around. Wonderful, wonderful people. They were not, they are us. Hell that. They were Christchurch. They were my buddies. They were my friends. You know, and again, I, I resent this idea, this whitewashed neoliberal idea that, oh, aren't we being so white saviour when we go and do the decent thing? No, these are our neighbours. This is how we tr- should be treating our people. Now, my people, as I said, would come into Americanos and they would sit down at the night time and we'd all throw our cigarettes in the, in the middle. And the whole idea is that you swap and change each other's cigarettes. And if you're a bit short for your cigarettes, you just stick your cigarettes in your back and nobody would, would, no one would mind that you... We weren't sharing your cigarettes at night. It was just part of this very, very sharing culture. And one of the guys I was speaking to at that time, and I won't go into his particular name, but he was explaining the, the story of how during the first uh, war in Lebanon in 1981, uh, he was basically, um, you know, he was living his normal life in his little village. He was on the Christian Jewish side of the, the geographic line, uh, just going about his normal life. And the war breaks out. And the militia come into his town and they start turning around and they basically start conscripting all the local people. And it's made pretty, first of all, he explains the militia people were, you know, they were, they were the great society's great losers. The people you just wouldn't normally have anything to do with because they were just a bunch of bullies, thugs, uh, just, you know, never were going to do any particular great. But then a war comes along, someone sticks a gun in their hands and suddenly they think they're Rambo. And these are the guys that were basically running around, shoving weapons into all the people that hit the village and saying, you are going to go and fight in this war and you're going to shoot at the other side. And, you know, there really wasn't much choice because it was clear that if you said no, you were going to get taken down the alleyway and you were going to get shot on the back. You know, bang, there you are. You know, no traitors be allowed on this war, thank you very much. And they would go out and they'd go to the front lines and they would be having to shoot and shell the other side. Now, while you're on paper, on two-dimensionalism, That's the Christian Jewish side. That's the Islamic side. Well, you know, being real life, it's not that simple. Reality was the people on the side of them would actually be second or third cousins, and some of them might be mostly Islamic, but there'd also be a mixture of people that are Christians. And they were people that had just grown up over generations that they were interrelated, and suddenly they were expected, family family were, were expected to be fighting family. And so, you know, being human beings, they did what most people did, was they spent most of the, oh, the time firing their weapons in the air and trying not to hit anybody. In fact, they've done studies about this all around the world. You'll find nearly, the figure is 75% of the people, that even when they're being shot at, 
will, will actually not shoot back. It is not part of the human nature. It's not hardwired into us to actually be killers. There's a very few percentage of us who actually get off on that vibe or will go down that road. And of course, when we look at things like first game shooters and so on, you know, we're, this is all part of the Hollywood desensitization. I mean, it always makes me laugh. They're going, oh, we've got to stop the mass shooting. And you've got, you know, these Hollywood stars coming, oh, it's terrible, it's terrible. Going, what do you mean? You hypocrites. You've spent your entire money, lives, making millions of dollars being a co-star against the gun. And then you're wondering why you have a mass shooting weapon. You know, and what we also find is whenever you have these mass shooting events is that actually the um, weapons company shares go radically up. But that's another story altogether. So these guys would be in this environment where, you know, they're trying not to shoot each other. And then he would explain that every once in a while, the local cleric would come in on the Christian Jew side, or it would be the local mullah who was on the Islamic side. Or there was actually four or five different factions, but it would always be some person in the name of religion would come in and whip up the militia, local militia troops and tell them how great they were, wonderful were. And then that person would, would sort off and they'd never see that person, you know, again. And that person wouldn't be, that, that wouldn't be the person that was being expected to get shot at. That wouldn't be the person that was looking at having their family wiped out. That wouldn't be the person that would actually have to go through any of the personal hardship that these people who were being put into an environment where they didn't want any of this to happen in the first place. And then he would explain that behind this particular person, there would be some speculator in, in Dubai or maybe Tel Aviv or Saudi Arabia, and they would be funding all of the this, this show, the militiamen with their guns and the thugs and the, the mullahs and the clerics. And then in the meantime, these same people would be actually having a lifestyle. It might be in you know, Monaco or it might be in London where they're indulging heavily in hedonistic lifestyle. And more often than not, actually even lifestyle where they're actually, you know, doing the opposite of, pre, you know, the, of the culture which says, you know, we're Islamic, we don't drink. Guess what? You'd find that these people had the best whiskey liquor company. They'd be at the casinos every night. And so what you were seeing was sheer hypocrisy. At the end of the day, the people fueling this war, the people that were expecting other people to die to make sure that they made profits, were actually, at the end of the day, actually just using all of this as just as simply as a way, as a, as a tool of manipulation and control. And that, to me, is the thing that we need to understand. And when we look at on the news and they talk about, oh, the, the, the Hamas did this and uh, the Israeli Defence Force did this, you know, this, this, is, this is ridiculous. This is trying to make out that everybody in Palestine and Israel is on the side. When the majority of people are just trying to get up in the morning, put their trousers on, go out, put food on their table, and they just want to live. They don't want, they don't want to be involved in this. And this is the thing that we need to understand, and which is why you do not take sides and why love really is the most powerful tool and compassion. And even for your compassion for your enemies. When you, you know, I've, I've, I've studied and written about counterterrorism. Uh, for nearly 25 to 30 years of my life. I've been published in over a dozen countries. I've got nearly uh, 600 to 700 academic citations, which, of course, none of our local media ever bothered to mention that when they talk about me. I'm just a conspiracy theorist. But you know what I've actually found in my experience? You cannot go out and actually combat terrorism by selling more weapons and starting more wars, just like you can't stop hate speech by censorship. All that actually does is it creates a meaner, nastier dog, and the cycle carries on and on and on. Now. I thought I might just turn around and take another little bit of a break. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you a really optimistic story. And I think what we'll just go with is, actually, let's go with Love Actually.
You're on the Deadline Report with Ben Virgin Investigates, Kira Fresh FM, and we're talking about the need for love. Love, actually. Love and peace, actually, is what we need. I've sort of told you a little bit about my frustrations that the peace movement has been hijacked by opportunists that want to turn this into partisan politics, and they want you to do the same thing where you actually hate somebody, and it's peace for one person, but no, no, the other guys are the bad guys. And I've explained that, you know, that's not actually how, you know, that's like saying, well, you know, we want counterintelligence. You know, it's, it's literally an oxymoron. Um, I've also explained a little bit about my experience of talking to people who have actually been in these conflicts and how, they, you know, at the end of the day, 
even the people that are fighting the wars are more often than not getting sucked into something that they don't want to be there and they've been forced to be there and it's normally been forced to be there by people that are playing both sides of the street. However, it's, it's not the entire human nature. You know, it is not our nature to be nasty and hateful and war, warring. And the greatest, one of the greatest stories I like, which not many people actually are aware of, is that you know, growing up of your generation, actually you've probably heard of Charlie Brown and you've even heard of Snoopy and the Red Baron story, which you know we'll go out on, on that particular track today. But what a lot of people don't realize is the origins of the Charlie Brown is actually, it's about the story of Franz Stigler and Charlie Brown. Now, during World War II, Franz Stigler was a fighter ace pilot, and Charlie Brown was flying basically a bomber. And after a one particular bombing raid, uh, Charlie Brown was, you know, the flight was the, 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 the captain of this, this bomber and it had been largely shot up. It was running on basically one and a half engines. There was mass casualties all throughout, you know, they, 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 their rear gunner had, back of the plane had been blown off. The plane was just a flying corpse, basically. And as they crossed the channel and they didn't think they were going to get home, this fighter pilot suddenly flew in down from the sun and it was a... A measure Schmidt, and they they were just you know the, their bones went tight and their skin went white, and they thought they were absolutely gone. And then this this fighter plane, uh, flown by Franz Stigler, just flew into the window and tilted its wings, and basically it made it clear to the bomber pilot Charlie Brown that all they had to do was stick on its trail and follow it home, and it would take them home. So this enemy. Who had, you know, that was that's what his job was to machine gun these people and drop them into the ocean. And he went, no, these people are, are wrecked and they're hurt, and there's there's no glory and there's no honor to be had by destroying them. So instead, this enemy, Franz Stigler, flew across the the ocean, guided this the, the his enemy that had just been dropping bombs on his own people, back and took them back home to their own air airstrip, and then broke away and flew off. And many 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 years later. These guys actually got to, you know, meet each other. And it was, you know, when you're watching the, the film clips of their, the, this, this encounter, it's pretty emotional stuff. And, you know, this, this actually is the story behind uh, Charlie Brown, um, Charlie Brown and the famous um, Royal Guardsman song about Snoopy and the Red Baron. And it's the story about peace and about, at the end of the day, what we really need to embrace upon is the idea that we need to love each other and we need to have embrace each other, and we need to say we want peace, and not just peace for one side, but peace for all. So on that note, as part of the theme for this particular seminar, because what I really, really want for Christmas this year, as we are the closest we have ever, ever been to nuclear annihilation, is I want two things. I want people to realise how precarious we are. I mean, we, this is not climate change. We are literally at the, a fingernail away from global extinction. So what I really want is I want people to realise how precarious our existence is on this planet. And number two, I want, I want peace for Christmas, and I want us to embrace the fact that we need to love everybody, including our enemies. So this is Snoopy and the Red Baron. And this is the Deadline Report, Ben Vigil Investigates. Peace and goodwill to all of you. And thank you for listening to the Deadline Report.
come out in the First World War. The bloody Red Baron was flying once more. The Allied command ignored all of its men and called on Snoopy to do it again. Was the night before Christmas, 40 below, when Snoopy went up in search of his foe. Despite the Red Baron, fiercely they fought with ice on his wings. Snoopy knew he was caught. Why he didn't shoot, well, we'll never know Or was it the bells from the village below? podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show first broadcast on fresh fm with support from new zealand on air fresh fm is a community access media station based in te Tauihu, the top of the south island new zealand the funding of access media makes these podcasts possible to find similar programs by other community access media stations go online to accessmedia.nz if you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.